great to have you with us. Welcome here to Season 3, Episode 3 of Sports Life Balance. Minimum, I've fallen 41,600 times on the ice. <laughs> minimum. <laughs> minimum. Right. That's just a bare minimum. But then you think about that and you think about, but I, wait, I got up 41,600 times. I learned so much from that negotiation of falling down and getting up that I put way more emphasis on the getting up than I do the falling down, you know? And I think when we learn to fail effectively and when we learn to, you know, learn from our failures, that's pretty awesome. And, you know, I, people look at failure like it's a, it's a disfigurement or a scarring thing, but it's like, no, no, what if we just say that failure is information? Right. And then we can just step forward and thinking that, well, okay, that didn't work. Let's try it another way. And we don't carry our failures. We learn from them. Right. So now they're not curses or blessings. It's not every day that you get to sit down and chat with a living legend. This week, I'm with author, broadcaster, and Olympic gold medal winning figure skater, Scott Hamilton. I'm John Moffat, and I'm super happy that you're here for this episode of Sports Life Balance. Scott was adopted at just six weeks old and grew up as an unusually small and sickly child. And for years, he and his parents struggled in and out of hospitals, searching for a cure. But then, Scott experienced a miracle the day he stepped on the ice for the first time. His multitude of ailments subsided, and he began to ascend through the ranks of competition figure skating. Scott made his world debut at the 1980 Winter Olympics in Lake Placid, New York, when he was selected to be the United States flag bearer during the opening ceremony. He finished fifth in those games, but then went undefeated for the next four years leading up to the 1984 Sarajevo Games, where he struck Olympic gold. So let's get rolling with this conversation about Scott's unlikely rise to the pinnacle of sports, surviving cancer and a reoccurring brain tumor, all through the power of living his life with constant positivity and uncompromising purpose. And by the way, Scott and I hit the ground running, and before I could even press record, we were discussing a common topic amongst Olympians of our era, the 1980 boycott of the Moscow Summer Games. It was, the, it was easily the dumbest decision ever made. And you know, when I tell people, I, they go, well, we couldn't support the Russians. I go, do you know why we didn't go to the Olympics in 1980? And they go, well, why? And I go, because the Russians invaded Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. I'm going to let that sink in right now. It's still to this day because I was a gigantic Kurt Thomas fan and what it did to him in his life just was just so awful and just tragic and terrible. And, and, you know, my friend, Butch Curry, who was a weightlifter, right. Um, made the team. It couldn't, I, it just, I mean, I, I get really angry when I think back on that time because it's just politicians doing what they do, you know, they yes. don't think they don't think it through. They don't, think it through. Yeah, they were, they're able to walk away from it. And um, Mm -hmm. as, as Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. firsthand from all the friends that you've made who are affected by that, it it affects everybody, everybody who was on Mm -hmm. that team, it affects. And, and I was young, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and I eventually had my shot, but for Mm -hmm. those who didn't get their shot, I have several friends, very close friends who never got another shot. There's just, there's just a deep, um, resentment oh, yeah. it's a wound it's a wound yeah. and a scar and but you know it's, it's like and I try to encourage people you know whatever their Olympic whatever their Olympic experience was it it just comes down to 
it'll always, no matter what it was, it'll, it'll always positively affect the rest of your life if you allow it. It will. You know, and I've seen people, yeah. It will affect your life. I've seen it No, I, I say, I know, but negatively, I say it will positively if you allow it to, mm-hmm. you know, no matter what it was, you know, I, I've seen people that, you know, are injured right before the, you know, the nationals and, and they, their shot was gone. Right. But somehow just the pursuit of it, just the pursuit of being an Olympian and being in a position to do that, it, 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 it positively affects you for the rest of your life because you had that experience. You've made that True. commitment. You, you did everything you could. And, you know, again, to be named to that Olympic team is you're an Olympian for the rest of your life. You're an, whether you had the Olympic stage experience or not, to me, it's like you're an Olympian for the rest of your life. And, you know, three people come away with hardware. And, you know, in, in many respects, and again, I was, I was really lucky that I got onto it early, um, that that can be toxic to the rest of your life because for so many people, it's a destination. It's not part of the journey mm-hmm. and they, they have a hard time rising above it. Right. So, yeah, I have lots of opinions <laughs> as you can tell, but the 80 Olympics, I still get, I get angry when I think back on that. I get really angry. Yeah, it's. Um, I try not to make it a source of bitterness, um, and I try, like, as as you say, I, I I say to people that my life was transformed not by making Olympic teams or going to compete at the Olympics, but the preparation, and dedication, and all those mm-hmm. valuable things that you learn along the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's it. That's it. About an hour ago, maybe a little more than an hour ago, I was doing final preparation. Um, for chatting with you today and about 20 or 30 feet behind me on in our neighbors on the other side of the fence a chainsaw fires up <laughs> and they <laughs> and they start trimming the tree back there and i'm like oh yeah 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 it's it's like that's that's the beauty of zoom right is is all the things that happen when you're you're really trying to focus in on something and i was i remember i was doing something it was it was kind of a a bigger podcast and um all of a sudden the vacuum cleaner starts going and, and i'm trying to stop it you know i got one arm over here <laughs> going going you know, doing this trying not to be on camera yet but you know and then you have somebody walking behind you and um it's like they're they're in their house clothes or something it's like okay are they're they're sleeping clothes. okay all right <laughs> well you know here we are and and i'm at my offices uh for my foundation right now oh, great. so this works out perfectly great. do you hear the uh you hear anything in the background? Do you hear the... I do not hear I, one thing. It was a little while ago. It stopped. Yeah. And, Joyful silence. And, and, finished yes. the work. <laughs> and so I was thankful. I was just going to use it as a learning moment, right? It's like, this is yeah. just, this is the way it is. You know, you well, prepare for something well, and it. something happens. Yeah. Well, that's the first thing I, when I was, well, I was watching um, or, you know, listening to, uh, uh, it was after... Eric Hyden won all five medals, right. you know, I mean, all five races, everything from the sprints, to the marathons, he won everything. Gold, in gold, 80, gold, 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 Yeah. Right. So, um, out of that, you know, they were asking him, why aren't you cashing in? He said, I'm doing one endorsement and one endorsement only. Cause I just want, I, I, I don't want to worry about my, um, paying for my medical education. Right. Yeah. And I thought that was really wild. And it, and somehow out of that came the quote, it's not the events in your life that define you. 
um, or your character is how you respond to them. Mm, for <laughs> and sure. That's just been, that's like, that hit me on a cellular level. Yeah. And, you know, with everything I've, I've kind of experienced in my life, it's really been that mantra. It's, it's not so much what happens, it's your response, right? Yeah. And so, you know, anytime I've responded positively to something negative, it's generally been positive, you know? And if you respond negatively to something negative, then it, it, it's double negative, mm. right? So you just try to stay um, high road. You try to stay fascinated. You just try to stay, um, you know, in full participation yeah. in whatever's going on with you. And generally things turn out fine and your memories of it are, are pretty positive. Like, you know, when I went through cancer, it's, it was, it's like looking back on that, I remember a lot of the tough stuff, but at the same time, I remember how, how amazingly fascinated I was by the process. And, and in that, you know, kind of how I was able to kind of get back on the horse and get back into life and back on tour the next year. So in that I've tripled down, quadrupled down, quintupled down, that I'm just going to, I'm going to live in a positive response. And, mm -hmm. and um, I'm sorry, you're just going to have to deal with my joy. <laughs> <laughs> well, if that offends you, I'm sorry. You know, it's like, <laughs> well, I'm trying to take it to heart. I read your book, Finish First. And, and mm -hmm. th this, this whole chainsaw incident, it, it reminded me of something that you wrote about in your book. And that was the, my very first conscious receiving of a God's wink. Ah, oh, God winks are great. Yeah. So explain, so amazing. Explain where God's wink is. So God wink is like, you know, it's like when you know that God is like just giving you a little something, something, right. Just right? giving you a little something, something and unexpected. And it's just like, here, it's like, Oh, wow. That was really, that was really cool. And, and they can happen as, as you know, I learned um, years ago that there are no such thing as coincidences. Mm. Everything is a God scheduled opportunity. And it was really funny how when, you know, before I um, dedicated my life, you know, to my faith, that I would look at things as like, well, that was really, how did that happen? That was really interesting. That was really amazing. That was really, and now I look at it all as God doing what God does best. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, shower us with love, unconditional and um, opportunity, unconditional. If mm -hmm. we just step into that in a way that, you know, honors him. So the, the, the initial Godwink thing came from a guy named Squire Rushnell. Okay. Um, he was a, he was a executive at ABC, did a lot of stuff with Bio Sports, Good mm -hmm. Morning America. I think he created Good Morning America, but oh, wow. um, he was one of the guys there. But he also did um, um, Alphabet Rock. Remember that? Oh, of course. Like yeah. That yeah. Was, yeah. Oh, that my was gosh. Squire Rushnell. So he wrote a book um, like about when God winks, right? And really? it was about coincidence. Yeah. It was all about that whole idea of like, when you know these things that just sort of transpire that happens and it's a god wink right yeah so i was sitting in a restaurant uh really close to my home i like going there for lunch because it was quiet and i could do work or whatever or i could just sort of chill out and i like their food and this man walks up to my table and he goes scott and i go yes and he goes <laughs> hi i'm squire rushnell and i go oh, um nice to meet you and he goes, yeah, um, my wife and I are just, uh, we were in Nashville for the day. We decided to come down to, to, to Franklin. We just happened upon this restaurant. And did you get my book? And I said, no. And he goes, I sent it to your publicist. And I said, well, I know I, I, I don't know of your book, but I'd love to hear about it. And he goes, well, it's, it's just so funny and ironic that 
I wrote a book about God winks and about these little things that happen yeah. in coincidence. And my wife and I just happened to be in Nashville today going down. To, and I really wanted you to have my book. I sent it to you recently. And we just are in the same restaurant at the same time. Wow. And I go, okay, that's a God wink. Yeah. <laughs> so I like, yeah. now it's like, there's no such thing as coincidence. They're all yeah. God scheduled opportunities. And so you, you can blow off a coincidence or you can look at it as a God's kind of opportunity and you can go, okay, I need to pay attention to this. Yeah. And it changes everything. Mm-hmm. It honestly changes the entire interaction is completely different now because you look at it um, as something that has gravity or importance or possibly opportunity. I, I love, I love that outlook and I love that positivity. Um, and that of course is what you're known so much for, but you, you begin your book, finish first with saying right off the bat that you weren't <laughs> born a winner and that no one is and that no, no one, one is. is. Yes, exactly. That <laughs> yeah. none of us are. So why is it important yeah. that that is the launching platform into this book that you wrote? Well, I think because so many people feel like they're in, already, you know, in a way they deserve the victory, yeah. right? Uh-huh. Uh, they, you know, it's like if you're born in this country, you know, I say for America, you've already won the lottery when you compare it to every other country in the world, right? It's like, there's something about this place that's just different, special, that honors work, that honors um, opportunity, that honors all those things that, you know, you you can rise above your circumstance because the playing field here is like meant for that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, but, you know, so already, you know, people feel like, wow, if I, if I take up, you know, hockey today, I'm probably going to be in the NHL. Well, no, <laughs> but you have to take up <laughs> hockey to get into the end of it. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. If I take up, you know, if I start swimming today and if I, you know, show up every day, maybe a little bit, maybe not, I'm probably going to go to the Olympics. Well, no, <laughs> it's a little bit, <laughs> exactly. it's a little more to it than that. So it's just about, you know, the whole idea of finish first, you know, um, it just sort of came out of that idea of what is it, what does it take and how, you know, and it just like, how my, how can I share my experiences with people that I am the most unlikely person to ever go mm-hmm. to Olympics, more or less win one, right? Like easily when you just take the recipe, right? And it was funny, I was, I, I'll go back to that in just a second. But if you look at just like, just all of it unwanted at, you know, but brought into the world, nevertheless, right? 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 Adopted six weeks later, all these different things. And, you know, it was really funny. Here's how crazy my, I caught my, a Forrest Gump moment. Cause I have all these Forrest Gump moments in my life where things just like happen, you know, you and do. it's like, I do have a lot of Forrest Gump moments. So, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there one day watching, um, you know, Sunday morning, I'm watching Joel Osteen mm-hmm. and he's talking about how, if you take the individual um, uh, ingredients for a brownie and you do them with, without combining them and baking them, but you just like one at a time you eat them. It's really not appetizing mm-hmm. at all. Right. But when you put them all together, right. Yeah. And you do it, you know, according to the recipe, then you have something really delicious. And he goes, which reminds me of a story of a little boy who grew up, you know, blah, blah, blah. he was talking about me. Wow. And I just happened wow. to be watching it on. <laughs> it's like, what in the world? Where does this come from? But it is, it's like, if you just take the individual ingredients, they're not really anything much. In fact, they taste awful, but when you put them together, 
it becomes this thing, right? Yeah. So I look at all of that and I think, you know, I'm probably the most unlikely person on the planet to ever think to us, like, and I didn't even like think to dream it. Like it wasn't even a dream. It was just yeah. sort of like, it sort of happened out of a series of, um, uh, you know, failures, unfortunate circumstances, all these things that I had to learn to rise above my circumstance that just felt at times um, unnatural, mm-hmm. at times natural, at times horrible, at times um, logical, right? Hmm. So it's the learning, it's the growing, it's the whole thing. And I thought, well, if I could put that into a, a sort of a guide to allow people to tap into their own purpose yeah. and to leverage that into doing something you know, where they can look back on their life and they say, you know, I didn't waste it. I actually, I actually did the best I could with what I yeah. had. Then that's, that's an important book to write and winning changes everything. Yeah. And that's it. Winning changes everything. And, and, you know, wins, as I describe in the book, they're not just these gigantic victories. It's not like standing on the podium at the Olympics. It's like, no, no, no. Showing up every day is a victory, right? That's true. That's a win. Mm-hmm. Showing up every day with the intention of being better than it was yesterday, that's a slightly bigger win. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. Com- committing to the long haul, that's a big win. That is. Right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, learning that uh, that failure is just information, win. Learning that, you know, um, you know that all these criticisms that we all get are, they only come in two forms, opinion and fact. And opinions deleted immediately. Who cares about opinion? Right. Just, just go. Unless it serves you, right? Unless you, oh, okay. But that would be in fact, wouldn't it? So if you're criticized in fact, well, now, yeah, it doesn't feel good, but mm-hmm. thank you. I have something really great to work with now. So all these things that I learned um, just in my gigantic adventure, you know, of, of rising above my circumstance and um, probably uh, doing more in my field or sport than I ever thought to dream. Mm-hmm. You know, I just seemed irresponsible to think that I'd ever win a national championship. And I did. And it's just like, there's no way in the world someone like me could ever win a world championship. Right. And I did. And, and then winning an Olympic gold medal. I mean, I'd be the fourth man ever in the United States to win the Olympic gold medal. No, that doesn't, that doesn't compute. That doesn't, Right. That doesn't make sense. That just that's that's just dumb. Why would I ever think that? And it happened. And so, you know, it's just because of the way you participate in it. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's more about the journey than the destination. Mm-hmm. It's all about, you know, really taking things uh, seriously in in one way, but allowing the the load to be light enough where it's you can handle it. Yeah. Right. Wow. It's not taking on that first day I'm in rental skates and my ankles are touching the ground because rental skates are the bane of my existence. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'll get to that. But I mean, it's that whole thing about you starting off hanging onto the wall. Yeah. Is that the day you decide you're going to win an Olympic gold medal? No. Really? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. It, it's just, it reveals, right? And, you know, for some, you know, it's, it's, it's just getting to a certain point. It's like so many people I meet met the skater when they were younger. They said, well, I got to be a teenager. And I realized that I had to make a choice yeah. between investing in 
sort of my my academic life in college or pursuing a dream where I pretty much peaked out to what my body would allow me to do mm-hmm. and my physicality and and just my being would allow me to do. And so they get to that, but they go, just all those lessons I learned about falling down and getting up. Yeah. Yeah. Car- carried me through everything. Mm. You know, it's that whole idea that, yeah, you know, as a skater, when I wrote finish first, I had to, I had to estimate, like, if I did, I've skated this many hours a day, it's been days of a year. I mean, falling down first second. Okay. Um, minimum, I've fallen 41,600 times on the ice. <laughs> minimum. <laughs> minimum. Right. That's just a bare minimum. But then you think about that and you think about, but I, wait, I got up 41,600 times. Like I got up 41,600 times and it's not about the fall. It's about the getting up. Right. And, and I I have so many get up stories now that, you know, I, I kind of like, I'm, I, I learned so much from that negotiation of falling down and getting up Mm -hmm. that I put way more emphasis on the getting up than I do the falling down, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think when we learn to fail effectively and when we learn to, you know, learn from our failures. That's pretty awesome. And, you know, I, I try to, you know, people look at failure, like it's, a, it's a disfigurement or a mm-hmm. scarring thing. And they, they put all their failures in a big bag and they carry that bag around their shoulders, you know, and it gets mm-hmm. heavy over time because we fail a lot. We just, we're human beings. Right. We fail a lot, but it's like, no, 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 what if we just say that failure is information, right? Mm-hmm. And then we can just step forward and thinking that, well, okay, that didn't work. Let's try it another way. And we don't carry our failures. We learn from them, right? So now they're not curses or blessings, right? And wow. there's all, all of that, you know, because it's just that. It's like we tend to look at failure as something horrible and terrible and awful. Mm-hmm. And it prevents us from moving forward in many ways because we collected so many failures that we don't understand the lesson that comes with them. And I say, do you realize that, let's just say, you're a baseball player. Right. Right. If you only fail two out of three times, you're in the hall of fame. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> you know, so, okay. How big is failure? Well, it's as big as we allow it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's as big as we, it's, it, it has the importance and, and the, the gravity and the, um, the long lasting effect that we allow it to have, or we learn from it. And we move forward without carrying it with us. We remember it, of course. I remember yeah. falling five times my first nationals on the novice level. Came in dead last. I remember that. And I love it. Every time I go to nationals and I see the novice men, I go, who came in last? <laughs> Some little boy's like, <laughs> I did. like, you're my hero. You're my guy. You're the guy. It's like, don't let this define you. Let this be fuel for the fire. You know, it's like, you got to figure out a way to do better next time you know, or not, you know, whatever you want. It just comes from, I was last a novice. You were last a novice. We hold that in common. It's not a death sentence. <laughs> no, right, it's right, just, right, right. It's just a part of the journey. For those people who are listening right now and um, don't know your background, either they live under a rock or they're millennials or younger, perhaps, um, go back to your, what, what your childhood was like. You were, you were a sickly child to say the least. Well, I mean, first things first, I was, you know, I was brought into the world by a mother who obviously um, 
I was an accident. I was, you know, um, I was brought into the world in a weird way. Um, mm. But I was adopted at six weeks of age. I had wonderful parents. They were mm. amazing and awesome, incredibly sacrificial and just awesome parents. They just set a great example for me. And I got sick and I stopped growing for several years. I was in and out of hospitals for four years. Yeah. I couldn't come up with a diagnosis for what I was going through. And um, they finally gave up after four years. They said, go home, live a normal life, see what happens. Who knows? Maybe he'll die in six months. Maybe he'll Ugh. grow out of it. We, we just, we, we don't know. Yeah. So, you know, that it was very stressful, my parents, and it was really tough on them. So when we came home from that last hospital, which is Boston Children's, mm -hmm. they can't fix you, nobody can. Um, we just decided, you know, my uh, you know, we just step into the next and our family physician came over and just, you know, had an intervention with my parents and said, you're exhausted. You're shattered. You got nothing left. Mm -hmm. You're, you've just been through this four year ordeal. You need to give yourself one day a week where you sleep in and you just recharge your batteries. Mm -hmm. And they're like, how are we going to do that? Like I, we got the kids, we have responsibilities. We got all this stuff. And they go, there's a brand new facility at the Bowling Green State University. You know about it. Uh, it's the ice arena and they, mm. they teach children how to skate every Saturday morning from eight to noon. Just send them there. It's, it's supervised. It's safe. It's great. And, um, you know, there's a lot of kids there. It's a really, you know, it'd be great socializing thing yeah. for Scott and, and my kids are in it. You'll have friends there. Um, and so I went to the rink and it was just something that, something just clicked and yeah. I, and, and as I skated, my health improved and it was the only thing that worked in all those years to kind of get wow. me growing again, moving again. And, and it was miraculous. And, you know, it's, it was years and years and years later is actually after from those first steps on the ice to 36 years later, when I decided to step away from skating to mm -hmm. raise my first son, yeah. my first child, um, it was there. I became symptomatic again. I, I quit skating and I mm -hmm. became symptomatic and it was there. They, they diagnosed a brain tumor that I was born with. Right. Right. So <laughs> yeah, it had so, been there the whole time. Right. And That's it did it its mischief because yeah. So craniopharyngioma brain tumors are tumors that a child is born with and ends up, you know, lack of growth and development when they're young until they find it, but they, there was no technology to find it back. Oh then. my gosh. Yeah. So wow. it was this big aha moment where I'm, I'm 99.9% sure. That's what I had when I was little. That's what yeah. caused all my health issues, but I'm glad they didn't find it. Otherwise I have a gigantic C in my head, you know, where they kind of went in there and just grabbed it out with their bare hands. And my life would look completely different than it does now. But for whatever reason, all those years I skated, it didn't do its mischief. It was only wow. when I stopped that it decided, oh, okay, now it's my turn. <laughs> right. And so wow. it, uh, it showed itself in a really weird way. And, and so I, first one was radiation. Well, I'll go back. So, um, so I started skating and, and um, I, I did okay mentally and physically. I just wasn't there. Mm -hmm. You know, I just, I hadn't set yet. I wasn't formed yet. And so you know, basically I wasn't me yet. Right. So, I had to go through all those years of stumbling around and right. failing and learning and growing and failing and trying it again and failing and falling down and failing and getting injured and getting past that. And, and then, you know, having little successes and failures. And it's like kind of that, you know, 
two steps forward, one step back, yeah. three steps forward, two steps back. It's all that stuff that you kind of have to go with, but you just keep moving forward. Right. So um, finally, uh, my parents committed to sending me to Illinois to come to train there half the year. Wow. And I was the youngest one there. So, and, and so how old were you things. then? 13. 13. Okay. Yeah, 13. And then the other people that were there, there was another boy there that was 15. And then everybody else was like 18, huh. 19, 21, you know? So it was an older crowd. Yeah. Um, you know, during the main trading season. And I just didn't, I didn't know how to do that. You know, so you're growing up away from home. Mm-hmm. You're trying to figure it out on your own, which isn't great. At 13 is um, really rough. It's really rough. And then, you know, five years later, um, you know, I, I went on junior nationals, which was crazy. And then on the junior side, that was going last, last, or it was four years later, actually. I went last at ninth out of nine in novice nationals, ninth out of 10 at novice nationals, um, seventh out of nine at the junior nationals, mm-hmm. and then uh, the junior level, I should say. And then um, my mom came home with a cancer diagnosis and she was very joyful. I've just come from the doctor and I've been diagnosed with a disease called cancer. And oh we're just, you know, I'm sure she was scared out of her mind, but she didn't want that to be our experience. So she was very upbeat and like, we're going to do this. It's going to be great. It's going to be fun. We're going to do it. And then she goes, and you missed her. And I said, yes. And she goes, you're going to be a senior in high school next year. I go, yes. And she said, and we are bankrupt. We, we, we don't, we we'll get you through one more year of skating, one more year. Oh my gosh! And then and then next year, you'll go to college, and we can afford college because it's free at Bowling Green State University because we're both professors there, and then that'll be your identity. So uh, have a great year. We'll figure out a way to pay for it, and um, and then you're done. And I said okay. So I go to the nationals. That I go back to Illinois, train, mm-hmm. um, and a new coach. Uh, he was kind of more of a disciplinarian, more of a whip cracker kind of guy. And um, I go, okay, well, it's my last year. I might as well just push all my chips into the middle of the table and just sort of submit, do what he wants me to do and listen uh-huh. and just obey. And my last year in skating, what have I got to lose? Right. Okay. <laughs> just swing. And so about two weeks before the nationals, I landed my first triple, you know, and um, I was like, wow, that's, that's a cool thing. I actually got a triple before I have to quit skating. So that's fine. That's good. So we get to the nationals and um, I was in better shape than I'd ever been in because I was more, you know. Well, um, your coach, I your guess, coach was uh, putting you through paces that you hadn't been to been through to that point in your life. Right. And I, and I was going through the paces, not just, you know, getting pushed. I was actually, pushing and pulling and, and cooperating in every aspect of his regimen. So, so you mean your, your heart, um, your heart was, your heart was in it, it or where yeah, it wasn't absolutely. necessarily before. I think, you know, the difference and that's part of the finish first thing, there's a difference between showing up and then showing up with the ambition, right? True. showing up with. Yeah. So um, this time I showed up with ambition Okay. and it was a whole different deal. Like I wasn't just, on the ice, I was on the ice and I was working to get better and he was pushing me to get better. And I was like, okay, again, all my chips were in the middle of the table. And so we get, I get on the ice, um, you know, I get to nationals and my mom's there. She arrived, she uh, flew in, traveled through Chicago and on the way to Colorado Springs. And 
she just had this big smile on her face. She had just lost her left breast and the inside of her left arm uh, surgically to get rid of whatever the cancer was there. Uh-huh. And then she was on big chemotherapy. And so um, she was wearing a wig because she'd lost all her hair. And she just had this big smile on her face. And it's like, are you okay? And she was, yeah, I'm really great. And it's like, is it like drugs or something they have you on? I mean, why are you so, you must be in pain. And she goes, oh, I'm fine. I'm just wearing this, this um, sling on my shoulder. So people don't bump into me because I'm still healing and and the bravest woman I've ever known. And um, so, but she just was joyful. And I go, I'm really, are you okay? And she goes, we'll talk when you're done. You just go out and have a good time. So I went out to do my long program and I was really in a good position after the short, the first time I was like up there and my coach, before I went out for the warm up, he said, don't warm up your triple sow cow. And I said, why? And he said, because we really don't want to know if it's there or not. (laughs) It's like, wait, wait, don't, yeah, don't, don't throw it away in the warm up. Just warm up. Oh, I see. I see. We'll do the triple. We don't know if it's there. So we don't want to have a big crash in the warm up and then you know you're all discombobulated just go out and do your thing do a couple big doubles mm-hmm. and then we'll see what happens in the program great so i go out for my long program i do my first jump mm-hmm. land it come around for the triple sow cow and i remember thinking to myself well i got nothing to lose right. <laughs> and i threw it right i threw it and Normally, i'm on my rear end after my hardest jump in the program right i just choke and fall and this time I'm landing perfect toe edge landing and I'm presenting to the audience. And I was like, I just landed my first triple. <laughs> and I got so excited. I forgot to screw up the rest of my program. Oh my gosh. And I won junior nationals. So here's the great thing. And, and this is a story I just told in a talk I gave in uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico. It's like my mom on the way there, she told me she stopped in Chicago. She didn't tell me that she actually did anything in Chicago, but she met with a couple in Chicago that um, a judge who really took an interest in me um, said, you know, you need to meet these people. And so my mom was at the airport. She met this couple who was very wealthy mm-hmm. and loved figure skating and hated to see anyone have to quit skating because of lack of funds when they had plenty. Oh my God. And so in that meeting with my mom, they wanted to meet with her first to kind of understand our value system and, uh-huh. and whether, you know, that I'd be a good candidate for that kind of support. And they fell in love with my mom and she fell in love with them. And they agreed. And that on my way, my mom's way to nationals when I was still a loser um, before I'd won anything that they said that they would take care of my skating from that day forward. Oh my gosh. And she knew all along, but she didn't tell me before I competed. She waited till I finished. And so this couple wasn't backing a winner. This couple was backing someone that may or may not have potential, uh-huh. but they didn't want me to have to quit because of a lack of funds when wow. they had plenty. And they, so they became like a second set of parents to me. And, and from the next year, you know, uh, I went to the nationals and I, I, I have never told this story without getting thick in the throat, but um, I went to the nationals and I don't even know how I made it. Um, I, I call it the trifecta. It's mm-hmm. like I was sponsored. I turned 18 and I got my own apartment for the first time. And that's a recipe for disaster. I wasn't equipped to live on my own, not even close. And so I, I, I was distracted. I was 
partying with friends. I was doing all the things that go into like not being in it to win it. Right. And I had this amazing opportunity. And I just, that first year, it was just like, what, what in the world, what am I doing? It's like, I'm awful. Like I, I, I I'm not, I'm, I'm just not, I'm not doing what I should be doing. And I, I knew I wasn't, I knew it, but I, I just didn't have the character to rise above it. So I went to the nationals and I, I came in ninth and um, that was the last time my mom ever saw me skate in competition. Mm-hmm. So I, after I went home and uh, I went, I was in her hospital room till 3.30 in the morning. I went home, slept on the couch because we had people there to support us. It was a tough time. And my brother-in-law woke me up the next morning at 8.30 and he just said, your mother is gone. Mm. And all I could think to say is, I know. And so I, I went out in the backyard. I went for a walk. And uh, in that walk, I just, I go, how do I do this without her? And who was I when she was around? Why was I such a jerk? Why was I such a, a failure? Why was I such a selfish blankety blank blank blank? Mm-hmm. I had a few cuss words on that walk, and uh, and then in it I figured I go the only way I can truly honor her sacrifices and commitment to me was to bring her with me to the ice every single day, and to strive to be the person that she always dreamed I could be. We'll be right back with Scott in a moment. I want to tell you about our partners, Roca. Their motto is field tested, athlete approved. And I can tell you from my own experience, they make the best performance gear on the planet. And for years, I've been wearing their industry leading wetsuits, goggles, and swimsuits. But Roca also makes amazing eyeglasses and sunglasses. And yes, I'm wearing a pair right now. And my shades are waiting for me when I hit the beach. All of their glasses are incredibly light and they don't slip even during the most extreme activities. And the best part is you can try them on before you buy. Roka will send you your choice of four frames so that you can try them on, on your own face, and then purchase your favorite. So head to roka.com, that's R-O-K-A.com, and enter SLB, as in Sports Life Balance. That's just three letters, SLB, to save 20% on all of your orders. And that's for anything on their website. And now let's get back to the episode with Scott Hamilton. And so I showed up every day with intention. Mm. That's the difference. You show up every day or you show up every day with the intention Mm -hmm. of getting better and an intention of allowing that day to mean something. It's another brick in the wall, right? So I just, every day was better. Every day was, every day was, I was accountable. Every day I was, I was focused every day. I was hungry every day. I, 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 it was just like hmm, running a little bit late. I, I, I honor her mm. beyond time. I'm a little, you know, I'm checking out during this practice session. I don't know. I'm bored doing these figures. Uh-uh, honor her. Wow. Focus. I, mean, I don't feel like doing a long program run through today. It's kind of tired summer. Uh-uh, honor her. Mm. Do your long program run through. No matter how hard it hurts. How much it hurts, how hard it is, do it. And so I, in that, I went from that ninth place finish to the next year. I was ranked third in the United States. Okay. I was on the podium, wow. on the senior level, and then two years later, I'm in Lake Placid as an Olympian. Nineteen. And it was all from 
Yeah. And so it was, um, it was that commitment of just rising above my limitations, rising above my circumstance, rising above my failures, rising above my heartache, um, the devastation of losing the most important person in my life. It was the rising above that was the reason that they, <laughs> oh my goodness, they elected me to carry the flag yeah. in the opening ceremonies in Lake Placid. And, you know, it was like they told me, they pulled me out of a movie in the village and they basically presented it like I'm being thrown out of the Olympics, right? Like, oh, you've done it this time. You've really done it this time. Like, what, what, what? And they tell me I'm carrying the flag and it's like, why? It's like, I'm here as a tourist. I'm the third guy on a three-man team. I have no chance of meddling. I'm just here to have a great time and, and to make, you know, turn some heads. Hopefully I'll come in eighth. You know, why am I? And I came in fifth. But and they go because it's about the journey, not yeah. about the destination. And, it, and that that really sunk in deep. It's about the journey. They didn't want it to be about success or about gold medals or about anything else. Yeah. They wanted this team to be blue collar. It's about it's about showing up. It's about putting the work in, and it's about being the most unlikely person here. They wanted it to be about that, and I was just like so taken aback by that. It's like wow, that's really powerful that I get to do this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I went back and I looked at the photographs of you being the flag bearer. And <laughs> I was watching and I was an aspiring Olympian training for 1980 as well. And I, I might add just for people who are might be confused is back then the winter games and the summer games were in the same year. They weren't staggered by two years, yes. Yeah. So I was training, and I was being inspired by what was going on in Lake Placid, which was the home game, or which was the home games, by the way, Lake Placid, New York. And I went back, and I looked at the photograph, and my gosh, struck me two th three things, actually. I remember it so clearly. Scott, I remember you and your story, and this is the first time I was introduced to you and your story, and the rest of the world was introduced to you and your story, number one. Number two, you're a, you look like a little boy. Yeah. And yeah. I think that, that that makes an impact as well, the story. Well, the I, I still shop in the boys' department. So. <laughs> oh, no. Well, and, and, and let me go, and I want to add, add thank you. And it, it, it was, I was young 21 year old i yeah. look like uh, you know i look like i was probably 16 17 at the most yeah and um you know it's funny when you go in for the parade uniform fitting yeah and you, they i they go uh oh, congratulations you're the flag bearer and i go yeah it's kind of a big deal and they go what size uh shoe do you take and i go six and they go is seven and a half okay oh man and then my, you know, the, my, everything was like, I was wearing dad's clothes. And that's another reason probably why I look like a little boy Yeah, was because everything was gigantic. No, even the gloves, they look like they're Yeah, the gloves were, they, well, the gloves came like <laughs> down to here and I'm the flag bearer and they're like, almost like overlapping. And it's like, oh my God. And the flag, the, the hat kept coming down over my eyes and I kept doing this, you know, trying to keep it up. It was just like, you know, of all things, you know, you humbled in a big uh -huh. moment in my life you know it's just you're humbled you know yeah. and it was just amazing that you know they were supposed to put the flag down on this queue and so i'm at the end right because you know the host country you know comes and basically 
last or next to last. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking down the line and the queue happens and nobody puts their flag down. And I'm like, okay. So I'm sitting there and my, <laughs> and my arms are getting really tired. It's like, oh man, it's a long ceremony to be holding this flag up. And so and we got through it and it was really fun. But, you know, it was a great Olympics. And, and again, coming in fifth was beyond anything I ever thought possible. And it was great because the Americans were three, four, five in that Olympics. So we had a great showing. After the Olympics, um, those top three guys all retired from competitive skating. Wow. So all you had to do was wake up one morning and rank second in the world. And it's like, ooh, ooh, opportunity knocks now. How do, <laughs> yeah. I, how do I rise above that first the guy in front of me? And that was David Santee. And that here's here's the irony, right? So a David was a whiz kid, genius, like mm-hmm. really successful from really young, like super young, mm-hmm. always successful because he was a genius at compulsory figures. And I had a vile hatred to compulsory figures. And so David, the year that I came in last in novice, the year uh-huh. that I fell five times in three minutes to right. come in dead last, the novice nationals in front of 17,500 people. Uh-huh. David, as a 13-year-old boy, was on the podium in the senior level. Wow. And he's the guy now I have to beat in order to be the national champion and potentially the world champion. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, there's a, there's, there's a lesson that I learned there. It's like, well, what do we got to do? You Guess what? You've got to fall in love with compulsory figures. <laughs> now like, explain compul- yeah. compulsory figures. I've seen them a couple of times. But yeah. ex- explain what they are for viewers well, because you don't necessarily cliche. see it. No, I mean, but you've seen it on like Hallmark cards or that, you know, somebody's out there tracing eights on the ice, right? right? right. They're just circles. You're just tracing mm. circles on the ice and you got to be on the right edge at the right time. It's a very specific, the, 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 on virgin ice, you're drawing these things with your skates and everything has to be perfect. And it's, right. it's to, to achieve that is like next to impossible, but you know, it's that whole idea of, uh, you know, you're working towards a perfection that can never be achieved. Mm-hmm. And in that you can be better than you've ever been before. Right. So, um, yeah, so I had to fall in love with figures and I did the more I, it was, I invested in the relationship basically as the way I describe <laughs> it, because it was a, it was a hate, hate relationship. I hated figures and they hated me back, oh. <laughs> you know, so. Once I just leaned in a little bit and just repaired the relationship, um, you know, I, I, my the results followed. And, you know, it's funny to this day, I tell my kids, you know, because the lesson I learned there was in order to be successful, you, you, you have to eliminate a weakness, right? Achilles had his heel, right? Right. Right. That was his only weakness, right? So I tell, you know, I tell my kids these days, I go, so what's the greatest strength? Come on, boys. What are the greatest strengths? And they'll roll their eyes and I go, lack of weakness. It's like, exactly. Figure out where you're weak mm. and get strong. And you're probably going to be better than you've ever been. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so in that, I, I figured out that I had to be strong in figures. Had to. Right. 100% had to. Mm. And so it, it, it really made me much more consistent, much better than I've ever been. And, and, and that's why from... October of 1980 to March of 1984, 
I never lost a competition. Right. That's that's what I was going. That's what I was going to ask you about. I mean, so it directly correlated to you focusing on mastering your weakness or attempting to master yeah. your weakness that led because mm-hmm. you were undefeated in yeah. pretty much everything. Crazy. I think right. And to this day, it's really wild that that no one since then. And I don't say this to brag. I'm just saying, you know, it's, it's, I don't even know why I'm sharing it. It seems kind of awful to say it, but no one has gone the four years undefeated mm. since. Wow. Even Nathan Chen, he lost Skate America this year. And it's not like, you know, I don't feel like I'm like the Miami Dolphins who's cracking the champagne, you know, <laughs> just, you know, but at the same time, I look back on that and I think there was a reason. There was a reason it happened that way. And I have to be, a good steward of that. Mm. Like I have to, I have to like respect that and honor that and, and to understand that it wasn't always me out there. Right. Mm -hmm. It was also, I was a product of incredible fortune, good fortune. Right. And that, you know, I got lucky sometimes and, and, but I, you know, it's that old cliche of the harder you work, the luckier you get. It's true. It was kind of like, um, a, a real representation of that. And I just had to be, um, I just had to look back on that and just sort of be grateful for it. Yeah. And, and well, and a- after that, you, you went on to a long professional career as an mm-hmm. entertainer first and foremost, how many years? Well, that's you- all I ever wanted to be. That's all I ever wanted to be. Even when, when I you first were, started uh, skating, even as an athlete. Yeah. yeah. But I, all I wanted to do was be an entertainer. And and a lot of the stuff that I put in my competitive routines were really meant for the audience, not for the judges. Mm. And so, um, wow. when I, when I came out of the Olympics, you know, I thought, well, I got to leverage this into something. Yeah. And so I signed with the ice capades. They gave me a great contract. Um, I had two years with a third year option. And, um, I told the president of ice capades, I was going to be the best employee you ever had. And he said, no, you're not. Because you Olympians, y'all think that your work is done. And I go, no, uh, I really kind of, I, I, this is what I've always wanted to do first and foremost. So I'm going to be really good. I want that third year option. And so he came to my, um, my last show of my second year and I'm just rubbing my hands going, Oh, third year option. I got, I got third year option. I got enough now where I can invest it. And I, you know, I've got enough money in the bank where I, I think I'll be okay for a while. And so I was really frugal and very smart about, you know, just putting the money away, putting the money away, putting right. the money away. And, um, and so he came and he said, uh, well, you know, congratulations. You did everything you said you were going to do. And I'm like, yes, sir. And he goes, you know, well, you know, we've just gone through a sale and I go, I'm really excited to meet the new owner. And he said, well, he doesn't really want to meet you. Oh no. And I go, I go, why? And he goes, well, he's kind of old school in a way. He only wants to present female stars. So he doesn't want your contract. He doesn't want you. So, um, great job and good luck in your future. And so I had a meeting with my manager right after that. And he said, um, do you want to help us start a tour? And I go, well, let me check my calendar. It's like, it's like empty. Yeah. 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 It's like, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd love to help you start a tour. And I've learned a lot in the last two years because I was actually paying attention to how staging works, how lighting works, how all of it works. Yes. I can totally help you do this. And so we started, we did a five-year, five, five-city kind of college tour in the fall just to keep uh-huh. expenses down on sort of like the prototype of what this tour would look like. And it went really well. 
So then we did five more cities, which were basically show up at a rink and just house lights, music, let's go. And they didn't like that one at all because it just didn't didn't feel good. Mm. Just didn't. And I only wanted to do the theatrical side because that's all I've ever wanted to do as a oh, skater. Okay. And so they went with the theatrical side and Stars and Ice was born as a theatrical tour. And, and um, I skated with them 15 years. Oh. Um, as a, a dedicated member of the cast. And then I skated about three more as a guest, as sort of a guest star. So almost two decades. And, no, I skated 20 years as a professional. 20 years. And what's, what's really crazy is, you know, during that time, I, you know, that last year I got married and uh, we had our first child nine months and two days after we got married. We got Engaged, married, and pregnant in three months. <laughs> and I, you know, I can set up a little pamphlet to let everybody know how that's possible. But um, yeah, so my son was six months old. I'm skating in New York. Mm-hmm. And the whole time I'm on the ice, I'm just saying, what am I doing here? Mm. What, what am I doing here? I, uh, I, 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 I need to be home. I've earned the right to be in this boy's life every day of his life. And I, I'm not going to squander that. I'm not going to yeah. deny myself that. So um, I went home from that city and I went to the rink every day training, like I'm training for the Olympics. And I remember there was one day where I hit every single jump. I tried backflips were floating. Everything was just absolutely perfect. And I'm driving home and I thought, I'm done. Hmm. I'm never going back. Hmm. And I, that, that was the day I retired. And um, I just said, I'm done. I just, I want to be a dad. I want to be yeah. a husband. I want to, and I've skated 20 years. You know, like, I, I think I'm going to be okay for a while. <laughs> no, I'm just yeah. going to invest in my, I want to see his first steps and hear his first words. And it's funny because my son is now 18. Uh, he said last night, he goes, okay, I have this project for my psychology class. And I go, yeah. And he goes, um, okay. So tell me about mom's pregnancy with me. And I go, well, she knew more about prenatal vitamins than our obstetrician. Yeah. What else? <laughs> um, you were late. Okay. What else? How long was her labor? And all this, all these memories came rushing back. And it was like, all those memories were there because I stopped and I took advantage of the opportunity to right. raise my son and also, amidst all of this, you you had a cancer diagnosis. Um, what was it in 1997? Yeah, and y- you had already dealt with way more than your fair share of health issues. So, how did you react to this terrible news? Well, it was 20 years, like a month or two shy of losing my mom to cancer. Mm. So you can imagine the fear was unbelievable because yeah. all of those those memories of her in the hospital and going through chemo and everything were just so specific. And um, so I, I don't know, it, it just sort of took on this thing where the fear, like there's a, a I don't know who the quote came from, but it says that courage is fear that said its prayers. Mm-hmm. And I really believe that, you know, because I, I was staring square into the face of this, like I've just been diagnosed with some form of cancer. We don't know what it is, but it's cancer. Uh, I'm scared. I'm scared. And then that 
fear, I don't know if it was five minutes, five seconds or a nanosecond, it flipped to a sense of power and courage and determination and clarity of mission and, and all, everything changed. It's like, it, again, it was, it was equal and opposite to the fear that I suffered. I had all of this like big gust of like determination and, and power mm. in that moment. And only God could do that. Right. But then my mom came back and I remember her battle differently. Uh, I, I, in the fear side of it, I remember her suffering and succumbing. In the in the other side of it, I remember her saying things like, "Oh, this chemotherapy! I finally found a way to lose all this weight. Mm. Oh, this chemotherapy! Mm. I've underquit smoking all these years, and now I have no desire. And oh, this chemotherapy! I, uh, my hair has always been so difficult and so unattractive, and these wigs are so beautiful and they're so mm. easy. And it's like I want to be her. That's who I want to mm. be." I want to be just like her. And it's, and, and it was like, okay, nobody's allowed in my room unless they make me laugh. And I'm going to be, you know, and my nurse got her right away and she treated me like an eight year old, you know, it's like, Oh, it's party time. And she'd bring the IV trees in with the chemotherapy and the bags were decorated in Mylar and Snoopy stickers. And my, my band-aids were SpongeBob and Scooby-Doo and, and so she treated me like a pediatric patient, even though I was 38 years old. Right. And it really was like, okay, if she gets the joke, you know, I'm probably going to be okay. And I had a lot of time. I got a great support, you know, throughout. Yeah. I'm always grateful for that. You know, I'm always grateful, always grateful for the, the love and support I received, mm -hmm. you know, during my, my cancer journey. And, uh, and then, um, you know, I, I got through the chemo on schedule and then um, I had to wait six weeks and then it was a 38 staple surgery that went from my sternum all the way down to my groin and the, yeah, they go through all the lymph and make sure and take out the, the cancer when they diagnosed it and they did the uh, CT scan. It was about twice the size of a grapefruit. Oh my gosh. How does a little guy like me not know that, yeah, right? Yeah. And so I had a lot of abdominal pain that I thought was just stress and, and an ulcer. And... Um, and then uh, when they took it out, it was the size of a golf ball. It was dead. Mm. So the chemo worked. And um, yeah, it was a remarkable journey. And, and it changed my life forever for the better. I'm really grateful for it. I, I wouldn't want to go through it again. But I, the work that it did for me was beyond um, anything I could have done for myself. It, it was remarkable and beautiful and impactful and it changed the course of my life for the better forever and allowed me to come into um the loving living arms of the lord you know i just because none of it made sense until i put it through a faith lens none of it made sense mm. you know why was i born why was i adopted to these people why did they sacrifice everything for me it doesn't make that's not logical mm. why did this happen why did that happen why why, why, and all of them were answered with this beautiful, amazing thing. It's because I love you. It's because I love you. Why did I go through cancer? It's because I love you. Why did, why did I, why, why did I lose my mom? Because I love her and I love you. Mm. So the, the, the whole faith journey of looking through life, through the eyes of Jesus and his sacrifice and his ministry and just, you know, the, the history of, you know, God with us, it just, it, it answered every one of my questions. Mm -hmm. And so even now going through 
you know, periods of struggle. You know, when the brain tumor came, well, it came, it, I was diagnosed with it in 2004. So seven years, seven years after, after. Yeah. And I thought I was going to get a pass, right? Uh Now I get a pass, right? Went through chemo and all this stuff. I get a pass, right? Like, well, no, you have a brain tumor and it's still one. They told me, I told you earlier that I was born with. So they they radiate it, goes away. So it is most of my hormonal activity, which is, you know, we're treating that pharmaceutically Mm -hmm. fine. Six years later, it comes back and is presented itself for surgery and the surgery didn't go as planned. It developed an aneurysm in my brain. So I had basically nine surgeries that summer and they were able to, you know, kind of get rid of it again, surgically. And then six years later, a pattern has emerged and uh, it's like, wow, it's back. We caught it on a well scan. It was just like went every so often for MRIs. And mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's very small, but it's definitely back and it's probably going to grow. And it's like, oh, okay. Um, all right. And so they brought in a couple doctors to tell me about, treatment options and they were talking to me about surgery and all I, I had this overwhelming um, thing in my spirit. It was just like this, like anytime they'd say something, I'd hear get strong. And it wasn't like an audible voice. It was just this urge of get strong. I didn't know what it meant. And so then they, they the surgeon leaves and then the hemonc comes in, the endotelial oncologist comes in and says, well, there's a experimental treatment that will shrink your tumor. It won't cure it, but it'll shrink it. And it's like, get strong. Oh, get strong. I don't know what get strong meant. Get strong. What am I getting strong for? What does this get strong? And so the main brain tumor doc came in and goes, so do you, what do you want to do? Surgery? Or do you want to try the medical option? And I said, I, I'm going to go home and I'm going to get strong. And he goes, what does that mean? And I go, I have no idea. Hmm. I'm just going to get strong. And so I went home and I was just thinking about this thing. Am I, am I to get strong physically? Am I to get strong emotionally? Am I to get strong intellectually? Or am I to get strong spiritually? I, I decided to go with E, you know, at least I'm going to be part right, right? I'm going to go E all the above. And it's amazing when I invested myself getting stronger physically, emotionally, intellectually, and spiritually, how everything just sort of changed, but like everything was bigger, brighter, better. And I go back in for my scan and they go, "Um, you're going to get some good news today. And I go, I'll take good news. And I went in and they go, well, it hasn't grown. And it's like, that's spectacular. That's fantastic. It's like, okay, I'm going to go back and get stronger. Right. So I go back and, and I, I I come back three months later and they go, you're going to get some good news again today. And I go, oh, it hasn't grown. And the doctor said, uh, the surgeon was in there actually. And he goes, I'm looking at your MRI and it actually shrunk about mm. 40%, no, 25%, 25%. And I said, shrunk? And I go, can you explain that? And he went, God, I don't know. <laughs> and I go, okay. So it shrunk again and then it grew and it grew and it shrunk and it grew and it shrunk. And so for the last six years, I haven't, I haven't had to deal with it. I, and, and honestly, for the last two, I've ignored it mm. just because I'm getting strong and I have faith that um, whatever this thing is, I'm going to be okay. Wow. And, and again, now those four principles, tenets, whatever, 
I have to look in every aspect of my life. I have to look through those four things. How is this physically, emotionally, intellectually, and spiritually? And and it was funny because I was reading the Bible, and I think it's uh, Luke ten twenty seven. They asked Jesus. He goes, "Well, what's what what you know? What are we supposed to do?" Right? Basically, he said, "We are to love you." the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your strength and with all of your soul. In other words, get strong. Mm. It's like I've treated my life that way. And, um, and, and I've been able to avoid treating this noggin nugget, as I That's... call it, for a whole thing. So, you know, I urge people to just to just get strong. <laughs> most of wow. your problems will just sort of go away <laughs> what a, yeah what a beautiful story what beautiful lessons um you i watched a speech that you gave and in that speech basically the topic was about suffering um yeah and and in 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 your opinion how does suffering factor into somebody leading a full and balanced life <sighs> Well, Romans 5 says that suffering produces endurance, endurance, character, and character hope, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think if I were sitting in front of a thousand people and I said, how many people in this room have suffered? Every, every single one of them are going to raise their hands, right? Yeah. So we all suffer. It's just, what is our response to that suffering, mm. right? We have mm. to respond to it. Yeah. So how do we do that? And so and I laid out sort of, it was a TED Talk for Nashville. And again, that voice in my head that, crops up every now and then um i asked him i go what do you want me to talk about and they said anything you want it's like can you please narrow it down so suffering kept coming up when, and so i did a, a search on the ted website i go how many people talk about suffering because i don't want to get you know accused of plagiarizing yeah. anyone right and if i am going to talk about suffering i want to use a different perspective than anyone talked about it before not one person has talked about something that we all experience and endure wow. not one Hmm. cowards <laughs> so you know it's like I, I guess i'm supposed to talk about this so you know at the end of it i just sort of you know you, you want to give sort of marching orders at the end of any speech right and so i i just said you know i i look at suffering um the response to suffering is a fork in the road you know and yogi Berra said when you get to the fork in the road you got to take it right you know but yeah three responses to your suffering because it's not really a left or right fork it's an up or down fork oh. right mm. so if you if you take your fingers and you make like a fork in the road and your middle finger goes down and your index finger goes up that's kind of the picture you can put into your mind of what what suffering looks like right in your response so you can the three choices are you can succumb mm -hmm. you can take that lower that lower road and just let it take you i mean the momentum the gravity of, of succumbing to suffering is just miraculous how fast it can take you down and how it can put you in a place of even greater suffering if you allow it to be that way the other part of it is if you don't go up or down you just stay right there at the fork and go nowhere you can succumb you can adapt right you can mm -hmm. adapt to that okay and adapting to something is that's fine that's okay you can adapt you can yeah. adapt to your condition yeah. this happens so i'm going to adapt to it i'm just going to allow it to be a part of my life and That'll be that. I'll just now I'm probably less than I was before, but I'm, I'm going to adapt to it. And and the greatest thing is when you can evolve, when you can just start the climb of taking that harder road, that tougher road, the, the more difficult road. You start climbing, and you just start just working harder than you've ever worked to be somehow better than you were before. 
in any period of suffering, it's the response. That's what gives it its identity. You know, it's, it's like, no, you just, you just live. And, and so many times, you know, where people are going through this indescribable periods of suffering, I just, I, I, I like to remind them that maybe you're just being moved. Maybe God is moving you. Maybe, you know, he wanted you to go left and you went right. Mm. And now you have to go through a period of suffering to, to mm. you know, just to right the ship, you know? Yeah, you can stay on the course and you're probably cruising along and it's mm -hmm. fine and everything is just so, but that's not what's going to give you your greatest experience in this finite thing we call life. You know, we have days, we have to live our days, but we have to live them in a way that um, gives our lives, you know, joy. You know, my wife, when she was being interviewed one time, they were talking about all my medical maladies. She said, you know, one thing I've learned is that Joy isn't the lack of, of fear and suffering. It's how you go through it. Mm. And it's beautiful when you think of it that way. Yeah. You know, joy isn't the lack of fear and suffering. It's how you go through it. And, it, and it, in that, you know, I think I, I, I've sort of got my, my black belt in, you know, dealing with stuff. And then, you know, I can, I can speak to it, you know. And, and so much of that is why I wrote Finish First, is yeah. to talk people out of their funk and give them direction. Wow. And nothing replaces work. Nothing, you know that. You know, as an Olympian, nothing replaces work. Mm -hmm. And you get to places, you get to a strength, you get to an ability level that you never dreamed possible because you were willing to show up every day and do the work, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and in that, the lesson is that it'll show up in every aspect of your life if you allow it. I wholeheartedly agree with you. However, one of the things that so many people struggle, including me with, is you, of all people, have been extremely ambitious throughout your life. Um, Not always. That guy that came in ninth three times at nationals okay. in seven, right? You know, I'd show up every day, but I, I wasn't having ambitious. I was mm. having fun. Yeah, but go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, no, no, no. That. That's, I mean, that's a, that, that's a good point. It's good to differentiate that you don't necessarily start ambitious and because you learn to be ambitious and you learned that, um, that your ambitions would lead you to the dreams where you wanted to eventually achieve. But my question for you is how do you balance your ambitions with your family and your personal relationships? There, Well, I mean, there's a tension, right. With you prioritizing. Right. Yeah. So when I, when I had Aiden, my, my first son, I realized that it wasn't about me anymore. And so I made that choice to step off the ice and, mm -hmm. you know, it's time anyway, yeah. you know? Um, but it was, it was that whole idea of that. No, I, I, I have to, I have to live life differently now. And in that, you know, I do a lot of speaking. Um, that's one night a week, maybe, um, or two nights a month or whatever, instead of being on the road for three straight months. Yeah. It's like, you know, there, there comes a choice where you have to let, you have to balance sort of life with the life you want to have. Yeah. Right. And, and they, they don't always get along. I, I'm never going to, you know, one of the things I want to be at my kids' games. I want to be, at, you know, I want to be there for their memories and, and mm -hmm. be a part of everything they do. And, and there are times where I'm, I, I miss out, you know, 
and you know my wife is there to kind of like video everything and send it to me and it's like i'm with you know i have to do a speech because it keeps the lights actually operating yeah. in our house Perfect. and it puts food on the table and 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 all these things that you know and it also it models work ethic for my children that they see dad going to work you know like mm-hmm. there there is that tension but at the same time there's an example to be made and and there are sacrifices to be always um, participating in mm-hmm. um, but you 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 put your highest priorities the highest and then your lowest priorities the lowest and and you can think about um, you can think about you know you just at the end of the day, eh, do I do that as well as it could be done? Or do I have to make some adjustments, you know, next time around? Uh, to wrap things up, in your book, Finish First, you write about how the act of you deciding to win so many years ago has positively affected the rest of your life. Um, explain to me exactly what you mean by that. It changes everything. So winning changes everything. It means that... Um, I made it on the Olympic team. That's a big win. That's gigantic, right? But it started with, I decided to, to honor my mom like three years before, right? So, you know, it, it's, it's that, that idea, I'm going to show up and it'll be different. Okay, that's a win. That's, that's a win. Just count as a win. So all these wins, they, they, they change not only the way that you operate, but the way others look at you. Um, the respect that you are now worthy of and all those things, right? So now I, I, I figure out a way to make it onto the Olympic team in 1980. And then mm-hmm. it happens where now I have the carrot, the opportunity is the top three guys are gone. Now I have one guy to beat. Okay, that's better than beating four guys next time around, right? So it, it just comes down to, you know, that win at nationals. Yeah put me in a position where at uh, the first nationals in 81, where now I'm looked upon as a, a candidate for the world championship in 1981. So now I'm, I'm I, I've changed. I flipped the script a little bit where now I'm like being taken mm-hmm. seriously. That goes into the 1982 season where I'm now the champion and how do you stay there? Mm-hmm. Right. So then I, I win all those four years and I've earned now the respect yeah. of a show that's going to trust me with their brand. And how do I do that? Well, I want to do it better than anybody's ever done it before. How do I do that? Well, it's just, I'm never going to miss a show. I'm never going to miss a press call. I'm going to be a model employee. I'm going to learn. I'm going to learn. I'm going to learn. I'm going to learn. Yeah. So you, you go through that period of time. Well, now that doesn't work out because the new owner doesn't want men. Well, I never missed a show and I never missed a press call. Now a promoter says, Will you help us start a tour? Again, winning changes everything. So now we get to that first year. You know, we work hard. Everybody's yeah. around there. They're all in. They're all in. They're um, all in. Earns us a second year. Earns us a third year. Earns. By the time we get to our sixth year, we're now profitable. And Christy Yamaguchi wins the Olympics and says, "I'm not. I want to go to. I want to go to Stars and Ice. That's where I want to skate." So she comes on, we go from a 30 city tour to a 60 city tour. <laughs> and it's just that it's like, it's all in that showing up every day and just wow. trying to make it just a little bit better than yesterday. You have lived such an inspiring life just from 
me watching you through the years oh, on the you. TV. Thank you. And That's kind of you. Thank to you. Hear, to hear your stories and to hear your methodologies and inspirations and everything, it's a, what a wonderful gift. So thank you for spending so much time with us today. And um, I can't wait to meet you in person. Wow. Well, it, it'll happen at some point. Our paths will cross. And, you know, it's like, again, it's just, it's all about this was an opportunity. This is an amazing time for us to get together and and uh, for me to share your pain about the 80 summer games mm -hmm. and how we try to get in front of that. And, and uh, but again, it's a choice. Everything is a choice. And it's all in the response. You know, how do we respond? You understand that you're an Olympian for the rest of your life. And you you aspired to that. You succeeded in that. And that, that'll show up in every aspect of your life if you allow it. So go get them, Tiger. I'm rooting for you. <laughs> Thanks, Scott. <laughs> All right. Take care. Scott would like to reemphasize the importance of what he referred to as his mantra. It comes from five-time Olympic gold medal winning speed skater, Eric Hyden. And he says, it's not the events in our lives that define our character, but how we deal with them. Eric is also a former Tour de France racer and is now an orthopedic surgeon living in Utah. How about that for some serious cred? If you'd like to find out more about what Scott's up to, go to his website at scotthamilton.com. And while you're there, take a moment to check out the link to Scott Hamilton Cares Foundation, funding advanced and innovative cancer research. And if you haven't yet, please give us your five-star review and don't forget to spread the word. Thanks for joining us, and we'll be back next week with a brand new episode. This was Sports Life Balance with John Moffat.